fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week we are talking about Hush and the Strangers. I honestly think home invasion movies might be my favorite subgenre. I disagree. I don't know why. It, I'm always excited to watch them. Every I single time. like home invasion movies, but they are pretty cookie cutter. Okay, so maybe I just love it when home invasion movies are great. Yeah, you know? when home, and movie, home invasion movies are good, they are amazing. Yeah. I will agree with that. I think that's true about slasher movies, too. Yeah. So there, I think it's just but across also, the board. But <laughs> also... Uh, I, I think I just need to take a break from home invasion movies. We've watched a lot of them recently, namely for this episode where we talk about home invasion movies. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think we, and by we, I mean you, me, and Hollywood, need to take a break from home invasion horror. This is just because you haven't had a good supernatural movie in a while. I would like some more ghost movies, please, <laughs> Hollywood. Well, there's The Lodgers. We haven't seen The Lodgers yet. We have not. Uh, there um, is a review on the website, though, uh, that one of our writers had put together. They seem to basically say that it was beautiful, but it would not surprise you. So, Yeah, I'm and in. also nobody's talking about it, so I don't know if it's going to be... Like, not a great sign. Yeah. I mean, have you... I haven't heard anything about it. It's a gothic horror movie. I'm going to watch it at some point. Probably. She described some of the monsters in the movie, the lodgers, quote-unquote. Oh, it sounds fucking cool. Without giving any spoilers. <laughs> but it's Home Invasion Week. The Strangers Pray at Night just came out. I don't know if you know about that, but that totally happened last weekend, and everybody saw that. There is a review on the website that I wrote, uh, nofspodcast.com, for all of those opinions and things that people tend to have. Um, and boy, do you have some. Yeah, and we recorded our Patreon-exclusive episode where we talked about that, and that is on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. So we have Strangers' Opinions. Um, do you want to talk about Strangers' Prey at Night briefly before we get into it? Yeah, let's let's take a little walk over to the What's Keeping Us Creepy Corner. I wasn't even going to say it, because like, at this point it's like... It's two weeks of what's keeping us creepy. This is basically like the Nightmare on Film Street debrief session. Okay, so let, let's change it a little. Kim, what's been keeping you creepy? What's debriefing you creepy? <laughs> Mission Control. <laughs> to the drawing board. The war room. Exactly. Yeah, so Strangers Pray at Night. I thought it was a fun horror movie, and I'm going to say it. I thought it was a stinky The Strangers movie. I uh, if this was just any other movie, different masks, different title, 
I think I would have loved it. I wouldn't have loved it. Uh, I think I would have really liked it. I okay. thought it was okay. It was a, it was a decent sequel, and that's as high as I'm going to go with that. Uh, it was fun, and there were some cool shots. But it was not true to the strangers. Apart from that pool scene, that was pretty dark. Yep. But... That, that got me. Like, there was... Yeah, they... Uh, right in my chest. The killers were really disappointing. I was really disappointed in them. I expected better. There were, there were scenes that I think were the staples of the movie. They said, we have to have this, we have to have that, we need this for sure. I didn't even need the Is Tamra Home. I didn't even need that in this one. I didn't need it. I would have been cool with that being a scene in a trailer that didn't show up in the movie. Yeah. Because honestly, when I saw the trailer, I was like, yo, I love The Strangers. This is going to be good. Yeah, but... and then not in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Also, also, that that um, that playground scene where she's hiding in the, the tomb. The old poop peekaboo. I was just about to say poopaboo. Poopaboo. <laughs> Kim's drunk, guys. I'm not. She's drunk on the flu. Oh, uh, yeah. Was... She's been sick for a while. Yeah. Yeah, we're, it's literally the weekend and we're just crunching in recording sessions because we are so overdue in recording. And this is the first time I haven't been vomiting. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been eating pancakes and nothing but for three days. Now, I, I will say, um, I don't know that it's the right choice of food. No, now, and also are good going in and they're great coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, as the person responsible for making these pancakes, I feel like an accomplice. Make maple syrup is decision. a great throw-up lubricant. <laughs> I don't like this conversation. You brought it here. I don't like it at all. It's gross and it's uncalled for, and I want you to apologize right now. I just gave them a pro-life tip. They're gonna say plain toast and maybe rice, maple syrup. Okay. Pancake is plain toast. Can I tell you with what... chocolate chips in it? I guess. You know, this. I, I did also grow up with my grandparents trying to teach me how to put chocolate sprinkles on buttered toast. Like It's it was, a weird thing. It is fucking weird. I never got it. I never understood it. And they were like, oh, in Holland, we eat this every day. And I'm like, why? But yeah, so would you recommend people go see The Strangers Pray at Night in uh, theaters uh, while it is out in theaters? I mean, it's not a terrible movie. I, I'd say go see it. I wouldn't... You know what you gotta do is you you gotta ask yourself how much you like The Strangers. I uh, See, I would say if you haven't rewatched the the first Strangers movie yet, and hopefully you have because you're gonna listen to this episode. Good point. See this movie before you watch The Strangers and then go watch The Strangers and fall in love with The Strangers again. Yeah. That would be the order I would do things. I think that's the right way to do it. Yeah. If you have a friend who's, for whatever reason, always refused to or just has never seen The Strangers, let this be the introduction to this them. Is Take like them to see this is like the thing. drunk cousin to The Strangers. Like, you're like, what was that? And then you're like, oh, right, here's the right film. Here's the film I was meant to watch. Yeah, they are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. And not for the better. But Unfortunately, yeah. uh, I don't like Pizza Downer on it. It's, mm. uh... It was, it was what it was. But other than that, I want to give a big shout out to Lindsay, our most recent Patreon supporter. Lindsay, thank you so much for your monthly pledge. Lindsay, 
barricade the doors. I'm gonna find some weapons in the basement. There are killers out there. We gotta defend ourselves. Kim's sick. She can't help. It's not her fault. She's gonna be in the bathroom Eating mostly. maple syrup. Eating maple syrup and pancakes. By the way, I think the reason I think pa- maple syrup and pancakes is kind of gross is really because of the movie Gamer, directed by the guys that did Crank and Mom and Dad. I don't know if you remember this. This is a super fat guy who's basically just playing video games all day, eating waffles that he's dipping into a bowl of syrup and just shoving into his gross, greasy mouth. That's unrelated. We won't watch it while we're trying to defend ourselves from the killers outside, but we, we gotta do something. And I'm glad we got you here on our team. Need your support. We're gonna have to barricade these windows and stay really low to the ground. From what I understand, in home invasion movies, our weaknesses are gonna be our strengths. Unless, of course... Uh, it's a bleak universe like The Strangers, then we're all fucking doomed, I guess? Thanks for your support! Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you again, Lindsay, for your support. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. You can find other rambling goodies, uh, like our Strangers Pray at Night review, a bunch of companion bonus games that we have for each of the episodes that we've been doing. Including this week's episode, where we play a little game that I'm going to reveal a little later. Okay, well, with that in mind, let's get into these goddamn movies. So Hush, from 2016, it's currently sitting at a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, I'm going to save this next one actually for last because it might surprise you. 2.5 out of 4 from RogerEbert.com. 3.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's 92% fresh. Am it's I 94. Right? Uh, <laughs> Which is so fucking high. It is very high. Holy shit. I found it surprising. Like, I I'm not also saying... found that surprising, especially when I looked at The Strangers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ratings, which I was really surprised about. We'll get about that later. But yeah, very high. Very critically accepted. This was straight to Netflix, right? Yes, it's so a Netflix it, exclusive, I think. I can only imagine the people that are giving that review are people that actively sought it out. Yes and no, but also you have to remember, too, in terms of Rotten Tomatoes ratings, it doesn't mean that a movie is 92% perfect. It means 92% of critics said the film was good. Yeah. Which means it could be 60% good and universally so. Yeah, I know how it works. <laughs> I was just reminding you and taking the opportunity to remind maybe somebody else who could maybe be listening to this podcast who did not know. If you haven't seen in a little while, Hush follows Maddie, who is a deaf mute writer currently being stalked by a crazy person. Known only as the man in the credits. Yeah, he, there's not really an opportunity for his name to come up. He doesn't need one. It really doesn't matter. No. If he had a name, it, it would be weird. Like, hey, by the way, my name's Dave. Just want to let you know, I'll be killing you tonight. <laughs> it's going to be hard to not comparing both movies at the same time because they both have elements that I like. You're talking about the fact that none of the killers in either movie have names? Or motivations. We don't get Ooh. any backstory on them. We don't learn that they uh, broke out of the mental asylum or they had abusive parents or they're junkies or you don't find out anything about them. And that's 
Amazing. But with both movies, you get a little bit around the edges. Like, there are silent bits or just quick little pieces of dialogue that tell you a little more about their character, which That's is good genius. filmmaking while still being vague, though. Oh, totally. When she steals his crossbow, it's got little notches on it. And you can see that he's killed X amount of people with that crossbow. I don't think I noticed that. Oh, it's great. In fact, there's something Thanks I noticed... Thanks for not pointing that out while we were watching it. <laughs> <laughs> something I noticed this time that I thought was really interesting. Let's say let's say there's 12 marks on there, right? We have 5, 5, because it's Roman numerals. What are those called? That's not Roman numerals. What is it called when you just, like, mark off 4 and then slash it for a 5? Prison scratch. <laughs> okay, so we've got, like, we've got a few sections of prison scratch. We've got 5, 10, 11, and then off to the far left, there's just another 1. Like an I, accident? I don't know. I'm thinking he marked his first one and then didn't include it in the rest of the tally because he wanted to remember that first one that he killed with the crossbow. I don't know. I'm going to show you a photo later. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's cool, though. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. It might have been the Blacklist podcast where Mike Flanagan was talking about writing this movie with uh, his wife, Kate Siegel, who also co-wrote the mo- movie and plays Maddie. Mm-hmm that there are pages and pages and pages of backstory on this killer. Really? And, like, never, we'll never see the light of day. We'll never show anybody. Well, it's we'll good. It would, it would ruin it a little Yeah, but that makes him such a successful killer because uh, I'm sure the actor knows totally what was on those pages, and, and maybe it was just a secret between the Can two. Can you imagine if he didn't even show the actor? You're like, no, 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 it's all in my head, man. <laughs> it's up here. No, no, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but why? I don't know. No, just, just you know, something. Yeah, it's an inside I just, joke. I thought that was very effective decision as a filmmaker to do that while still making a very quiet, vague film about a home invasion where none of that will come into play. Because a lot of times, and this is kind of a, a misstep of most home invasion movies, that the killer is only written on the page. Okay. There's nothing that exists beyond him arriving at this house and killing these women or kids or teenagers or whatever. Yeah. And then he goes back into his box until the next sequel. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And this killer, same as in The Strangers, I feel like they live beyond the page. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what interests me the most about them, because I want to know more about them. At the same time, I want to know more, and I I don't, but I spend a lot of time just thinking about who they are in the real world of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why is he in the middle of the woods? Why this farmhouse? He knows the address because he calls, he fake calls the cops with the exact address of the house. So this is like a planned thing, but he doesn't know anything about her. I I don't think so, so, but we're getting, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's do intro beans first. Yeah, so Maddie's cooking up dinner, some rack of lamb or something? I have no fucking idea. Yeah, I don't know. But the... The entire beginning of this movie is setting us up to understand how iMessage works. Yeah. Do you feel the same way? How iMessage works and how a smoke detector works. (laughs) So we need her to have a conversation with somebody on both her laptop and cell phone and also burn dinner. Yeah. Tragically. Well, and it's also introducing you to, like, the normal life of a woman who's living a more isolated life but also is mute and deaf. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to which she is. Yeah, I think they do a great job just sort of sucking the sound out of some scenes like you can really feel it fade away as if you're stepping into some sort of sensory deprivation tank Mm -hmm. um i think it's brilliant yeah especially the cooking the dinner stuff because there's sizzles and you hear like oven opening and closing and the chopping there are a lot of sharp sounds yeah and then there's a lot of moments where it's completely silent but it's funny that you mentioned that one of my i like this movie this is one of my favorite home invasion films but 
one of the only things I personally would have changed mm. or maybe would have put it on my favorite of all time lists is if there was no dialogue at all. Through there the was, whole movie. There was no sister. There was no neighbor. There was no um, neighbor's boyfriend, husband. Or, alternatively, the first dialogue... Is when she Is when he takes off his mask and says, can you read my lips? And then that's it. I would have loved for him to discover that she's deaf without any speaking. I think that would have been really a stretch for a filmmaker to convey. Maybe maybe that wasn't the original script because I, re- I didn't read the screenplay, but I heard that there was that it was mostly stage direction. There's very little dialogue, obviously. Yeah. Um, I can't see a studio greenlighting a film that's like, yeah, it's a movie with no dialogue, a horror movie. It's yeah. going to be great. <laughs> Mostly a silent film. I mean, on the other hand, what was that movie? The Artist won a fucking Academy, like a few Academy Awards the other year. Yeah. I think that's really hard, though, to get to get somebody to sign millions of dollars towards. Like, yeah, there's going to be no talking. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah, everybody's going to maybe like it. Yeah, and Mike Flanagan's done a bunch of big films as of recent, but when this was made in 2015, he'd he done Oculus, mm. and uh, probably... Before I Wake, which was still in development hell, yep. and that was it, right? Yeah, that only saw its release recently anyway, and in Canada, and has spread out to the States? It's in the, the States, yeah, now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, relatively, I don't want to say unknown, that guy's got a shit ton of shorts under his belt, too. Which sounds like an odd sentence, <laughs> but what I mean to say is he's got a lot of short films. I don't know. I got. I, I think that'd be a cool intro to the movie too. But here's the thing: I really think that that neighbor's important, mainly to the killer. Why is that? Because he's not there for Maddie whatsoever. I don't believe that he's particularly there for anyone. I think he went to go kill this girl. I think her name's Sarah, because she was alone. He probably staked the place out. I don't know. He looks, especially the fact that he brought a crossbow. He's expecting a runner, which means he's not planned. I assume he's, like, found a house in the woods and is just, like, having some fun, parked his van in the shadows, and is just having a night on the town, as it were. Yeah, but if he finished killing the neighbor Sarah and everything went cool, I don't know that he would have just, like, walked down the street to go see what the neighbor was also up to. I think he probably would have gone home. No, I agree with you. I'm just disagreeing that the intent and the planning behind it. I don't know. So before the neighbor is murdered, (laughs) she comes to Maddie's house returning a book. That's where we get the exposition bit that she's an author and she had bacterial meningitis and she lost her voice when she was 13 and she can't cook and she's got a really loud fire alarm. Yeah. Also, she uses iMessage a lot. I don't know that I would ever even learn sign language, to be perfectly honest. If I lost my voice, wouldn't even... I I would only use iMessage. Always. In regular life? Yes! So you'd be one of those people that just carries a chalkboard around their neck and be like, latte, please. I wouldn't. I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess I would just be doing a digital version of that. Yeah, but okay, so I go to Starbucks and I sign, like, latte, please, and they go, what? Like, it wouldn't work. I would have to write it down. Yeah, but you could really inconvenience your close friends and family and make them have to learn another language. Oh, that sounds like a nice thing to do. Yeah. I would just do that then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And also, to solve that Starbucks problem, I could order that fucking drink ahead at a time. I don't have to talk to anybody. In fact, right now, with the capability of using my own mouth, I don't talk to anybody at Starbucks. Because I order my drink before I go, I come in, I check the name on the counter, I walk the fuck out with it. Like, that guy just took two cups that said Kimberly. (laughs) I think that every time. I assume they they think I'm stealing (laughs) drinks. But I'm so confident about it that I'm just blind to them. (laughs) 
That's the way to get anything. Yeah. You just pretend you're a Kimberly. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you just meant, like, blind confidence. That's what I was joking about. Fair enough. She is trying to work on a novel, a follow-up to her first novel, and she's got this special ability as a writer that comes up three times in the first ten minutes on how she can map out every possible ending to a story, and then she picks the best one. So she's clicking through on her computer, like, 12 different endings. Yeah. And in that moment, it's probably one of my favorite moments of the whole film, and it's just this really cute, revealing moment about her character, and like a silly, real moment where she's just typing in whatever, because she can't oh, think yeah, of... Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, that's later. Is it? I thought that was right yeah. at the beginning, where she's like, blah, 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 No, because the, the killer's behind her there. No, that's... Yeah, the killer's standing behind her. Okay. So, we're round two in dinner. She's she's burnt the first one, but we're definitely going to get it right this time. She doesn't do it twice. She doesn't make her dinner again? No. She just eats cat food? <laughs> no, they don't eat dinner. She eats ice cream when she's working on her story. Yeah, I don't remember any of this. I will do the neighbor bit. So the neighbor comes running over looking for help. Killer catches up with her and kills her, but he's really surprised that Maddie hasn't heard this whole commotion. And when he taps on the window, she doesn't turn around, which he finds very interesting. And now he's locked in. Like, he needs to toy with her because I guess his thing is that he wants to scare her. Like, he needs that fear. Yeah, he's definitely the type to prolong and extend things. And for him, I think this is like the the golden egg that he stumbled across because he's got so many different, more unique avenues to infiltrate her house and her life, kind of. He gets in immediately, like, no problem, because the door's not locked, and she does. she's completely unaware of him. She's working on her story at this point, and clicking through her seven endings, that's when there's that moment that I really like where she's being really personable and... Yeah, she's doing like, blah, 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 the end. Happily. Money now, please. Yeah, money now, please. <laughs> <laughs> end stuff. <laughs> and then her sister or Skype calls her, or I call, I don't know the technology. It's probably FaceTime. I message <laughs> with video. <laughs> yep. It's her. Yep. And, Nailed it. Uh, and then we get that, you're alone, don't have a boyfriend exposition. And then mm. the sister thinks she sees something in the background, but oh, it's just my shit cat. That poor cat gets right on the entire first half of the film. By her the name's way. Bitch, too. I don't think her name is Bitch. Her name's totally Bitch. Later no, on, he gets the collar, and he's like, hey, who do you belong to? And the collar says Bitch. Does it? And it has her address, yeah. Aww. Well, I thought she was just calling her a Bitch, because she yeah. spells out Bitch in sign language, which I also enjoy. Yeah, she's saying she's independent, she'll be fine, she's a Bitch. Oh, and her name is actually Bitch. I like that. Which is why the door is unlocked, because she's trying to get the cat's attention. She's out there, she's shaking the bowl, the cat won't come. I thought that was a nice touch, too. How yeah. would you communicate with your cat if you're deaf and mute? You just shake their food. That's really all I do now, even if I need to get a hold of the pet. Like, <laughs> you're like, I have a bag of chips, maybe! Yeah, sometimes I mimic the sound of me eating just to get her to come running. Like, I pretend <laughs> I'm holding food some, sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, come hang out with me. And she's like, what do you got in your hand? I'm like, air. We're mean to our dog. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're really mean to the dog. <laughs> Killer comes in the house, like, right away. He takes her phone, and he starts... He does take her phone. Right? This is super creepy. And, you know, I don't really know that this could have played at any other point in the movie, but it, it upsets me that we only get it once, where he's sending her photos of herself. Like, he's taking shots from behind her. Mm -hmm. But obviously she can't hear the flash, so he's got no concern... Well, you wouldn't hear a flash. He's shut hearing you the shutter. Hear, yeah, which, the digital shutter, whatever yeah. it is. What I also like about that scene, too, is he's literally just taking them as he's backing out of the house. Mm -hmm. And 
he leaves the sliding door open and when she like has to go and bear witness to 100% somebody is in her house taking photos of her mm-hmm. the sliding door is open and then he's like 10 paces back from the door just standing there in his creepy ass mask yeah don't say you don't like the mask design because you're kicked off the bike. I'm not nuts about the no! mask design. I, it's got a weird grin. I love it. Eh. It's spooky. It's all right. It reminds me of those um, happy, sad drama masks, but like a dripping, like a slightly melted wax version of that. I would have preferred the sad tragedy creek drama mask yeah that would be great with the like like the fully like, moon eyes like, yeah like the fully wailing face like Whoa. i like it it's spooky it's all right it's very spooky i like that it's white and pale and there's like nothing to it yeah that's cool yeah the moment when he finally takes off that mask though is so good such a good scene yeah because she's written on the glass i haven't seen your face my boy, no, no, it's, I haven't seen your face. My boyfriend's coming home soon. And I guess she's hoping, she's, one, she's trying to plead with him. And two, she's trying to scare him into thinking that she's not going to be alone. Who would believe that message, though? Oh, well, definitely not the guy who's been reading her text messages. No. Who has memorized them? He just repeats them back to her. No, the thing he repeats is is what the sister says. My mistake. In the video chat, because he was standing behind her at that moment. Oh, because he could hear it. Because he that's calls right. her Squish, which is what her yeah, sister calls Yeah, that's right, her. that's right. And... I don't love that video chat message. It doesn't feel as real to me as the other scenes with Maddie where she's shaking the dish and writing in her story. But it plays out well. But I would keep it solely for that moment where he repeats the nickname because that is like chilling in your bones scary. It's just like, no, you're not allowed to have that name. That's not your name to have. Yeah. That's a between sisters name. Yeah. How dare you? (laughs) Well, and the fact that he's he's starting to learn a little private details about her and he just wants to kill her more and more the fact that he has she has a disability he sees as a twisted asset to what he wants to do to her he will have more fun because she's deaf well thinking about him killing a, a, like the neighbor right mm-hmm. i think yeah he probably tries to scare her he probably tries to prolong it until they're absolutely terrified they're so scared that they can barely even fight back which is horrifying but he probably lingers in that moment before they're truly horrified at what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. he he wants that moment where they're realizing that there's somebody standing behind them. They're realizing that somebody's here to kill them, where it's silent. This is giving me, like, and, the willies. Yeah, like, it's, it's super silent. It's void of sound before they scream, which I think is why he likes her so much, because the entire night is that chunk. Like, his favorite part about killing people is everything that he's getting with her. Which, you know, at the end, really wants to try and get her to scream. I think we save that bit of dialogue That was creepy in, like, a sexual (laughs) way. But at that window, when he's repeating back to her the message with his sister, with her sister, he says to her, "Uh, I, I can come in whenever I want. And I'm not going to come in until you want to die. Like, basically, until you're begging me to stop. So the whole rest of the night is him terrorizing her. Which also seems like a lie. It seems like he keeps trying to break in. Yeah, and she keeps I was saying, like, I don't know. Back off, bud. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know. Because <laughs> she's besting him he throughout does, most of the night. He, he does that at first when he's like tapping the dead friend on the glass. That's fucked up and I love it. I just, I don't understand in that scene how she hears the friend. Because she's gone through the house, she's made sure windows are locked, she's closing curtains, whatever. And then she tucks behind in the corner of one of the rooms and then... 
he's banging the hand on the window, and she happens to look in and see the friend there. Okay. She I, wouldn't have heard any of that. She's ducked on the ground. She's mm-hmm. hiding. And we have the moonlight coming through the window, oh. and she sees the shadow moving. That's what gets her attention. Oh. Yeah. we I rewatched it this morning, and the room was really bright, and I couldn't see anything on the TV. So I basically just listened to it a second time. Isn't that the fucking worst? When you have to basically black out all the windows in order to watch a horror movie? And it was the first springy-type day today, so I wanted to appreciate some of the sunlight, but also I'm a hermit who watches horror movies all day long. Yeah. So kind of inflicted with my I need some vitamin D soon. It's been six months. <laughs> uh, the horror movie won. I, I close the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> horror movie pretty well always wins. Uh, yeah, I just love the killer in this movie. We haven't talked about him enough because he is... My favorite casting that I... I'm going to say this. My favorite casting of any Mike Flanagan film ever. Okay. I'm not a huge Flanagan fan. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite movie of his, and I it 100% goes down to the killer. I mean, I'm, I'm on record uh, of not liking Ouija Origin of Evil. I did write a review of Gerald's Game, which I wanted to really like, and I'm not nuts about Oculus, so I would probably say Hush is my favorite <laughs> Flanagan film as well. I don't know that it comes down to the killer, though. Like, why do you, why do you like him so much? Well, just his portrayal of the character. He's kind of clean-cut and young, but there's no point in the film where you don't think he's capable. Yeah, that's the, a good fucking point. The first time you see him, his eyes are so intimidating, but it's a surprise to see how normal and... I guess white collar he is. He seems like, like he'd be the cocky guy that works at the office that you just don't know anything about. Yeah, he seems like he's maybe above middle class. Just that, and that's just me generalizing based on I don't know his little short hair flip and. But that neck tattoo, you ain't getting a good job with he that neck tattoo. He does have a neck tattoo, which is it's you're a right. Big ass neck neck tattoo. tattoos are kind of a deal. <laughs> Yeah, it's a deal you're making with yourself and your resume. Yeah, like, I hope you like turtlenecks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is no tie in the world that's going to hide that. Oh, you could become an, like a guy who wears ascots all the time. Isn't that just a fancy name for a turtleneck? I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking about, like, that, that frilly sort It's like a scarf for dudes that you tie up. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. it's, like, in lieu of a tie. Like, you would expect a, a, a Brit rocker yeah. from the 60s to wear. I don't think you could wear that to an office. Probably not. Hello, my name is Taylor. I am here for your entry-level position. Yeah, really. Um, Do you need somewhere to hang your top hat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's just intimidating. And it's a surprise because he is so, I don't know. He's a normal-looking dude. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's been to jail several times. I mean, he... the neck tattoo, but not him. <laughs> not the neck, yeah. The neck, t- the neck tattoo itself has had... <laughs> the neck tattoo has served some sentences. The neck tattoo has been charged for murder. Taylor, on the other hand, doing fine. It's really unfortunate. Taylor was just a nice kid until he met this tattoo. (laughs) And it all went downhill. So she keeps trying to think of ways to thwart him. Uh, Immediately, she's at her computer. He cuts the power from outside. Which, I know, John. (laughs) Let's just let her lie. It's... It's a film. I'd be okay with it if if it was like bolt cutters and he was just cutting the wire leading into the house. They could have just built cellar doors and had him break into the basement and do it or something. But 
Whatever. What if this is actually a thing that happens in Alabama? Like, and there's a reason there's no basement in this house, because it was filmed in Alabama, uh, I saw at the end. It was all live on location. I wonder if you have power boxes on the outside of your house in a place like Alabama. They have tornadoes and stuff. That doesn't make sense. Okay, well, I mean, if you're going to lose your entire house, why not put the power box on the outside? What if it rains? It's Alabama. It rains there. Yeah, I'm sure it rains there. I'm, I just don't have an excuse. I don't have anything to say. Oh. And I was hoping by saying, it's Alabama, all would be well. By the way, power gone. No more Wi-Fi. She doesn't know the neighbor's password. He knows that she doesn't know, which is also a great scene. Oh, yeah, because he's got her phone. And yeah. he's watching her trying to call the police on her computer. You know what? I'm back with you on this one. I'm so sorry. He's still wearing his mask at this point, and he's looking down at the phone, and he sees that she doesn't know the Wi-Fi password. And when the, he looks back up at her, we have that pale, slight grin. That fucking mask works in that scene. It really does. It does work. It really it's, works. It's, the perfect emotion for how he feels knowing that she doesn't have the password and then the dread that she's experiencing seeing him know that she does not have access to it. Yeah, he is a cat staring at a mouse that has nowhere to hide. It's great. Well, cats don't have that much forethought, but okay, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> the cat's just like, this stupid mouse doesn't have a Wi-Fi yeah, password. like, why am I waiting? <laughs> <laughs> so... Next up, she tries the car alarm. Now, he's already bashed in the car. She watched him do that. Tires are smashed. There's no escaping through the car. She does still have the keys, though, so she sets off the panic button. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't work inside the house, so she has to open the door, so there's a little risk there of her um, sneaking out partially, getting the alarm going, locking herself back inside. Mm -hmm. This is where she hides, and this is where he starts to terrorize her with the, her dead body, which is so crazy. He opens the window at this point because that window's unlocked and she's trying to fight him, but she's not strong enough. And oh, when, she, yeah. when she finally loses control of that window and he's trying to climb in, she hits him with the back of an axe, like the claw hammer. hook part of a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> if only that was going as smooth as I thought it was. <laughs> Because in my mind, I fucking rolled with that. Like, all oh, those deaf women always keep an axes by their bed. It sounds like they should. It really does. On the other hand, if you, I, I can only imagine that if you are deaf, you get spooked often. Or maybe never. Because if you hear something in the middle of the night, you're like, what the fuck is that? Versus, like, them, they'll sleep soundly. But if something, like, touches them, or they think something's touching them, you'd probably get spooked because you're like, two of my senses are gone, fuck. I don't know. She probably sleeps very soundly. So next up, after the car escape that does not work, she does she try to run for it at this point? I'm pretty sure at this point she's trying to hide under the deck. Yeah, so I think she goes to run for it, but she can't, so she, she hides under the deck because yeah. he's kind of touring around the house. Another cool moment, she puts her hand on the bottom of the deck to feel that he's still up there because she can't see him at this point. She can't hear him. Yeah. That was a nice touch. Yeah, there's brilliant little things like that throughout the entire movie. And the the next hour are are basically just like her running through different options. Like, I'm going to try and escape. I'm going to go try and hide. I'm going to go do this. At this point, though, hasn't she been hit with the crossbow? That looks like it fucking hurts. It does look like it fucking hurts. But she manages to get it from him. So now she has a crossbow upstairs, inside, and she's locked in. Relative safety for now. The thing about the crossbow, I guess immediately you're like, woo, I've got a crossbow. I can hit him with a crossbow. The best thing about having a crossbow is that he no longer has a crossbow. That's really, yeah. That Even is, if... Even if you don't know how to work it, if you never figure it 
it out. in the fucking attic. Break everything about it. Oh, like, that's true too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just destroy it. Because yeah. if he can get it off you again, then you're definitely getting a crossbow in the head. Because he seems to have practice with it. <laughs> exactly. She tries her best to to arm it. I guess you. Yeah. And she really can't. Like it, I don't even know if I could. Be perfectly I don't honest. think so either. It looks fucking hard. No, I and don't it think it's really color coded or. Like, I don't know that I would even color code it. I have a hard <laughs> like time. Like the IKEA putting... instruction booklet. <laughs> The A slot, B slot, arrow slot. Where does the dowel go on this crossbow? <laughs> I don't even know if I I would have the, the courage to use it. Crossbow what? seems a lot more personal than even a, a gun would. I don't know if it's, if it's just that it's personal, but... Because the I thing about guns is guns aren't personal, because you're just like, bit. But a crossbow feels like you're projecting a wooden knife at somebody, which is a real unique experience. <laughs> a unique experience. <laughs> that the two of you would share. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you think you could just load a knife in there? Like, do you think it would throw that knife? I don't think so. I don't know that I'd ever have the courage, because I'm a wuss, to use a crossbow, because I would assume I'm going to have my fingers in the wrong spot and lose the tips of my thumbs. Well, I think as long as your finger is not in front of the point, like, where it's going, <laughs> the, the, it actually is unique to a bullet, because it's a <laughs> literal arrow. Here's the thing, though. That, that, that twine or whatever is pulled back with such tension that it can launch that arrow thousands of meters, or however fucking far yeah, that's they go. Scary. So, I'd if, be if your thumb is in the way of that, that wire, you're losing your thumb. That's the same reason why you're scared around, like, violins and stuff. Violin. Because you know how, like, tightly wound those wires are? I have seen The Haunting. Okay. I know what a sprung wire can sprucketh. On a piano. Or a violin. Yeah, what about guitars? There are guitars beside you in your office right now. They're thicker. They look thick and safe. Yeah, the thicker <laughs> Except ones. Except for that little one. Hurt. He's frightening. <laughs> well, I mean, you really only end up breaking strings while you're playing the guitar. So, like, once that happens once or twice, you realize that, like, it's all good. Yeah, but has it ever landed anywhere near your eye? Maybe once, probably. Never. Oh. And violin, you play right by your face. New fear I just made for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking a lot of sense. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but um, here, here's one thing that you are forgetting about these violin strings is how that they are played. It's not quite like a guitar where you're just, like, slamming on it. Um, what are you doing? They're like, for you in, you would you? Yeah, but what you do is you have resin, and you resin up your bow, which is a bunch of hairs. It's like running your finger along the rim of a glass, and you're creating, like, that tone. On, like, a piece of crystal china or whatever? I'm still afraid of them. Okay, well, you're allowed to be afraid of them, but it's a completely irrational fear. Like, no, real estate agents or refrigerators. I think it's an interesting fear. Like, I think it's a quirk. Like, if, if I had to do speed dating, I'm like, oh, I'm afraid of violins. <laughs> wow! Me too! Yeah. Like, you would say no to that person. That's experience that we share. What is with the unique experiences? <laughs> okay, we gotta wrap up this movie. What else happened? Yeah, so the neighbor comes looking for his girlfriend. I am actually also one, I'm surprised that, I think his name was John, did not find evidence of Sarah being at least attempted murdered. On in, that porch In area. their house. Oh. Because he went home and she wasn't there. So he came over to see Maddie, like, hey, is Sarah over here? Yeah. And then, hey, the car is smashed up. Hey, Maddie, everything okay? Have you seen Sarah? I'm getting alarmed. There's a guy here with a neck tattoo who thinks <laughs> he's a cop. Yeah. yeah. He was wearing a hoodie. And he was like, just because you have a flashlight does not a cop make. That is a brilliant move, though, right? And that's a flashlight she gave him because she tossed it into the woods for him to run away, mm -hmm. thinking that she had taken off um, to somebody else's house. Yeah, because you're going to run away from a killer and you're dead, and you're like, better run with this flashlight on. 
Oh, that's so true, too. Like, you can't go running through the woods. You wouldn't even know how much sound you're making. Because everything makes sound in the woods. Oh, man. That's spooky. It's a good setup for a movie. Yeah. <laughs> she would. Ha- her only option is to incapacitate him. Yeah, so he takes care of that neighbor pretty fucking quickly. And that's a good move, too. I think that actually tells us a lot about his character and how... Because that scene does go on very long, and he knows right away that he's got to dispose of this guy because he's a new problem. he's not strong enough to take care of this guy. Because the guy is huge. Yeah, like he's immediately sizing this guy up, and he's trying to figure out how to get rid of him. You know, ultimately, Maddie provides a distraction for him to stab him in the fucking neck. And when he's saying it out loud, too, he's like, oh, yeah, and thanks for that. Good timing. And you're just like... You're such an asshole, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Really good little moments with the characters. Really fucking love that. And John, the neighbor, totally understands what's happening. He gets it. He's getting ready to smash that guy's fucking head in. And, uh... Bleeds out first. Yeah... He keeps trying, though, even though he's dying, because it's great. He's kind of lumbering aware, and he's ready to, like, fight him, even though he's, like, spurting blood from his neck. And the killer goes, it's already done, man. Ugh. And you're just like, fuck. It's just such an asshole. That's a, I, it's so weird when you're commending horror films, because you're like, that's great, because it's so fucking bleak. He has no idea what's happened to his wife at this point. He can assume she's dead. He's found her earring. This guy is not a cop. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely dying, so his last-ditch effort is just to get this guy. And he dies trying. And you don't even know this character, and you're just like, he's such a nice guy. <laughs> so unfortunate. So unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's around this time that, uh, that Maddie basically realizes that there are several endings to this story. And she maps them all out, because that's her fucking talent. She's good at it. And this is such a good part of this movie. I don't like it. I love this I part! I don't like it. Where she's sitting around in the apartment, and she's talking to herself, like her, the, the voice inside her head. I love that she's going through the scenarios. Yeah! I don't like that it's a talent presented in the beginning of the movie. Honestly, I had forgotten that. Uh, when you mentioned it, I was like, are you are you sure? Like, I, and with my eyes, I was trying to tell you, like, you're, you're sure about this, They right? do it three times. It's yeah. with the neighbor, it's with the sister, and then it's literally as she's working on the novel. And yeah. you're like, okay, it's coming into play, I get it! That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, the beginning of the script, is, it, it's got a lot of setup, and it, it lets you know, and you can point your finger yeah, right at Yeah, you're like, spot. alarm! Bug spray. Yeah, like everything. The iMessage stuff, the the ending, like her talent. But it's got good payoffs. Like, I think it's a great payoff. And we get to see several endings of this movie. Mm-hmm. Which is like, we've only got one character in a house. How many people can die? Oh, okay, cool. So our neighbor showed up. Um, and, you know, we've got another little, some body count there. But I, th- I think without that scenario where we're seeing several different ways that she could die, people might get bored in a way like it's a home invasion movie it's it's a guy who's here to kill everybody around and he's having trouble with one i don't know that it would be as good without that and you know maybe that's something that we'll talk about a little bit with the strangers in a minute Mm -hmm. i will say part of the interesting thing though i do like that they run through the scenarios it's fun to see her kind of being out of luck in most if not all of them yeah uh, there's a fun little bit when she's actually working on her computer on her stories and that same inner monologue is running through where she's talking about the lead character. She's like, maybe we'll just kill the lead character. And the other voice in her head says like, no, you can't do that. They'll hate that. Mm. And how we kick off the alternate endings later on in the movie is after the the neighbor guy has been killed, she runs out there and he bashes her head in with a rock. Yeah. And then she looks at the camera and goes, nope, can't do that. And 
it's great because for a minute you're like, wait a minute, we're not 90 minutes into this. Like, why is yeah. she dead now? I'm not okay. Yeah, something's wrong. Because she... I don't like this. <laughs> and spoiler alert, in the end of this movie, she does not die because she can't die. Exactly. Because She's the, the audience character. wouldn't like it. Right? Exactly. Which was a great little nod to uh, how the story had to go. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm so, if if exposition isn't buried and buried so deeply, and how do you bury exposition in a movie that has no dialogue? It's impossible. And especially where the conversation is very one-sided. It is literally a character telling a person something. Even, mm-hmm. like, they are talking, but only one of them is saying words. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. But it, it, I think it totally works. I think it's great. She decides that the only option she has is to fight, is to kill him, regardless of, um, regardless of how hard it's going to be. It's going to be impossible, but she's got to fight back. It really kicks off with her hiding upstairs. Well, he's aware of it. She shoots, does she shoot the crossbow? No, she does she? She hits him with the crossbow. She figures it out because she hits him in the shoulder with the crossbow. She's running back into the house. He slams the door in her hand and just destroys her hand. Oh my god, I forgot about that. That's right. And then with her blood, she calls him a coward and tells him to come in. Yeah. With her mangled hand. Her hand is so mangled. It is mangled. Oh god, guys, I think Mike Flanagan's got a thing for mangling hands because <laughs> I, I'm sure you've seen Cheryl's game and we de-glove her hand. And I'll say Oculus, there, there is a moment where a guy tears off his own thumbnail, which is hard to watch. That yeah. one's really hard to watch. Her hand looks like a kindergarten turkey turkey drawing. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> There's something that happens right after that, too, that I I think is great. It's a perfect shot. You know, our music is kicking up. He's smashing the window. He's trying to break in. She runs to her laptop. She writes down, like, white male, five foot nine, neck tattoo, love you, mom and dad, died fighting. And yeah. then closes her laptop and goes... I like that. I like that, too, but if I was him, I would just smash that laptop. Yeah. He's, like, trying to break in behind her, which is a great scene. It's really good staging, but he can see what she's doing. So like this. On the, on the other hand, though, he He's kind of fucked from moment one. She hits him with that with that hammer, and now he's bleeding and DNA's everywhere. That's true. He's toast. No that matter what. It's true. over. This is the last, like, whether you make it out of here or not, but it's jail after this. Yeah. Jail for that neck tattoo. Eddie, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I ain't going back. Uh, before we move on, though, I do want to say that I really enjoy the swelling of the music in that scene. It's good. I don't know why. The music isn't, like, completely memorable or whatever. It's not the most amazing music ever, but I really like it in that scene. It's very, um, I don't know, not horror movie-like. You feel oh, empowered yeah. by it. Yeah, You're yeah, just yeah. like, she's going to kick some She's going to kick some fucking ass. Yeah. yeah, I'm so into it. It makes you really like, yeah, this is going to be fun. She blinds him with bug spray. She deafens him with the alarm. Finally, right. And then they're on an even playing field. She because... stabs him in the knee. <laughs> Yeah, it's true, because he can't see and he can't hear shit. So, in fact, she's got the upper hand at least a little bit. And then he chokes her, and then she's about to die. Oh, yeah. Um, But luckily, she grabs a corkscrew right in the nick of time, and it goes through his fucking neck! I love that. I honestly, uh, I I do always appreciate when you can see something come at the other end. Like, getting stabbed with a knife, I'm like, okay, cool, it's like a retractable blade, that's great. I know, it's a lot of extra work, but it looks good. Oh, yeah. It looks good. (laughs) It looks great. And uh, she survives. Yeah. At the end, her cat comes back, and... All is well. Yeah, that cat doesn't die. That cat makes it out. Because that's right. He's going to kill the cat. That's when she hits him with the crossbow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad that cat survived. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. 
Um, I do like in the final moments when she's hiding in the tub and she expects him to come in from downstairs where he's broken the glass. Yeah. That he instead drops down a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, It shows a little extra last minute plotting on his part. Only he gets cocky and he breathes on her and then she gets him. Yeah, he chuckles. Um, That's a good scene though because it's, um, it kind of hurts its own pace a little bit because we're already on board with her kicking ass and then she kind of loses the upper hand a little bit there and it makes you it it gives you a double take and it's just weird i don't know it's just weird kind of ebb and flow for that scene but it's i really liked it it wasn't what i was expecting no not at all i thought it was brilliant when we first saw it Mm -hmm. this is a nice surprise it's great that she still makes it out okay uh good on her that was some nice sidearm swiping knife (laughs) in action yeah you want to do ratings absolutely I don't mean this in, like, a really harsh way, but when I first saw this movie, like, holy shit, four out of four. This is the most fucking... This is the coolest home invasion movie I've seen since you're next. And the more I watch it, the more that rating drops a little bit. I agree. Part of the problem is because it landed on Netflix without much fanfare. That's probably it. And we just watched it one day. We were like, wait, man, this is good. Yeah. So... But now we're, like, analyzing it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Which... Tends to ruin things always. Why do we do this? (laughs) But I will say, it is still one of the best home invasion movies that I've seen in the last while. Mm -hmm. Probably since The Strangers. I think The Strangers really helped bring that genre back. But I'm going to sit with a a pretty solid 3 out of 4 for this movie. I am also a 3 out of 4. I figured. I was was thinking you might even go 3.5. I was uncertain. Almost. Um, One of the only other complaints that I have that I didn't say is that I find... Everybody in Mike Flanagan's films are very clean cut and pretty. And even when they're covered in blood and it's just a little too perfect. Everybody's hair is a little too great and everybody's a little too chipper. I don't know. I They're the best of the best. They're too pretty. I don't know. Like he needs to cast some uglier people sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure his wife will take that as a strong compliment. No, she's great in this. <laughs> she's amazing in this um, movie. In this movie, it's the only thing is that the the neighbor, the guy, seems a little out of place. Like he is too hunky to be living in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what are these people? What do those other people do? Because they're know. not even married. They're just boyfriend and girlfriend. Are they? I'm pretty sure he said my girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, maybe she lives in the woods. Who lives in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's talk about a stranger. <laughs> it's okay, there's nothing here. I haven't heard a dog bark, or a car pass, nothing. Hello? What is it? It's my phone. We gotta get out of here. I'm gonna open the door and I just want you to run, okay?
since you were home. So The Strangers from 2008 is sitting currently with a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, a 3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. And Roger Ebert himself gave this movie a 1.5 out of 4. Yeah, we'll get... We will get to that because I can 100% pinpoint why those ratings are the way that they are. Yeah. But I do want to say before we get into the films, we are recording this before Strangers Pray at Night has come out. So not that I think it'll happen, but if there are any tie-ins to the previous film or if there are any callbacks or anything... We're obviously not going to be mentioning them because we do not know about them. Yep. Uh, I is think... Tamara home? I, mean, I think that's probably the biggest tie. Isn't it Tamara? <laughs> Tamara? Tamara. Tam- I don't know why I said Tamara. Whatever. I think that's how I was reading it when I read the script. Like, that's how I heard it in my head. Oh. And now I can't get it out. Yeah, so, like, I don't think there's going to be any tie-ins. I think it's going to be a standalone movie. But in case Liv Tyler shows up and vigilantes everybody, uh... then, uh... We're oh, just... what if she's like the farmer in Jeepers Creepers 2? Like, what if she comes rolling in in a pickup truck with a big harpoon gun at the end? She's like, come with me if you want to live. And, like, the rest of it is them on the run with Liv Taylor. Tyler. <laughs> Liv Tyler. Just, like, hurling grenades and, like, fighting from truck to truck on the highway in the middle of the night. Like, what if it becomes... So, that's Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I would like to live in a world where one half of that movie is like a serious, great horror movie, and the second half is just Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Like that whole bridge sequence, just for 45 minutes. That is such a weird follow-up. We'll get to it eventually. It's going to be an episode. But yes, this, this portion here, unlike the intro, recorded before we went to the theater. The Strangers, if you haven't seen it in a little while, follows Kristen and James. They are coming home from, you know, in fact, there's a voiceover at the beginning of the fucking movie, so you can probably figure out exactly what's happening. They're coming home, reports say, from a wedding. Clearly, they did not have a good time. Well, they're not wedding. coming home. They're staying at his family's cabin. So what I'm assuming is this wedding was up north, mm-hmm. near the family's old cabin or summer cabin or whatever. Yep. And rather than driving all the way back home, they're staying at this cabin for the weekend or the night or whatever. But something's clearly gone wrong, and they are not in a good mood. And we, we have no idea what's going on. But the place is decorated like the most romantic weekend at the cottage ever. There's rose petals everywhere. They're in the fucking tub. They're on the bed. He's got champagne chilling. It is set up for a secluded weekend alone. Yeah, and it's very quiet, and it's very sad and stiff and dark, and you know, something really serious has transpired between the two. We cut to a couple little flashbacks of them at the wedding, and you realize that he has definitely proposed to her. She has definitely said, sorry, not sorry, no. Yeah. It's like an intro to a great mumblecore movie. Like, how do these people spend the rest of the weekend together? Yeah, it's great for their characters because they have a lot of inner turmoil that needs to be thrown aside when a bigger situation presents itself. And it also kind of, in the grander picture, puts things into perspective that they were too consumed with thinking about their future because they are literally spending the last night of their life um, being on a different page. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. You were pointing it out, and I thought that was brilliant. Because that was the whole point of what 
I think their relationship ended by because she was, um, she just wanted to like have fun or she thought they were having fun or Mm -hmm. she thought they were, their relationship was good. And, and he was like, yeah, that's why serious things. Yeah, our future. We should have one. So that makes this movie all the more darker for me, I think. I don't love the beginning as much as I used to. Maybe really? it's because there's it's not revealing things for me anymore, and I'm just waiting for things to get started. Oh, okay. Also, I didn't love the screenplay. I thought I was going to absolutely love the screenplay because the film is so silent, and I thought there was going to be a lot in the screenplay Yeah. in terms of direction, and in a way there was, but... There's a lot more talking in the screenplay that I read. Especially from the strangers, yeah. Like, they are really vocal in how they terrorize them. It's not as Not that they're, like, calling full things to them, but they're saying words at them. Like, go inside and mocking, like, like a seagull would. (laughs) Like a seagull? (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, I still really like the beginning of this movie. Uh, And agreed. Yeah, the, the screenplay is odd. It's really strange. It I think it's an early draft, but... Probably. And also, that draft completed on Halloween of 2007, from what I remember seeing. Or 2006. Mm. It said October 31st. That's all I needed. But it's great. I, lo- I love the beginning of this movie. I think I just like the setup of uh, seeing how somebody's plans have completely changed. Like, nothing worked out the way they expected. And now they are sitting in it. Not only do they have to go spend the rest of the night together after having, like, a relationship-ending realization. It's not really a fight. It's just like, oh, we want different things, and we're not going to work out. Like, this is the end of us. Mm-hmm. We're going to look back and say, like, oh, yeah, like, regardless of whether they're together for another week or another day. It imploded there. Exactly, yeah. And we are at ground zero of that, and surrounding them are, are the trappings of, you know, how great life could be if, if only things went a little differently. Like, I think that's great. And I would watch almost any movie in that setting. Thankfully, we get a home invasion movie where people just start invading their personal space. Honestly, right as soon as they're starting to have some sort of tenderness between them again, they kind of drop the the anger that they have and they're starting to slow dance just as somebody bangs on the door. Just as they're starting to apologize to each other and kind of say goodbye. I know. It's, (laughs) It's hard to watch. And that's where I think this gets so... I honestly did not know that this film was panned. I just assumed everybody thought it was a great movie because I, I thought honestly, it was a great movie. Even despite looking up the numbers, I still think everybody likes it. I just assume that like, everybody agrees that The Strangers is a great movie. Three out of five on Letterboxd, though. Not bad. I think it's because it's so random and What's the characters random? aren't great heroes and they're not deserving to die and it's all just acts of randomness. Isn't that brilliant? That is what I love oh, about okay, it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. That yeah, is what makes the same it page great. Here, yeah. It's a home invasion movie. Yeah. That is what it is. Like, the fucking end of the movie, they ask them, why are you doing this? And she says, because you were home. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, no, that's the best line of the movie. I read um, in the Roger Ebert review, I, I didn't read the entire thing, but I, I read that he had read an interview with the director, Brian Bertano. Bertino? Bertino. Bertino. And he, uh... In terms of inspiration for the movie, you know, he says, like, oh, yeah, I really like, you know, like, old 70s horror movies. But, like, the biggest thing that inspired me for something like The Strangers is that I remember reading Helter Skelter at 11, and it really affected me. And um, I remember growing up in Texas in an area where you could go outside in the middle of the night and scream, and nobody would hear it. Like, it's, it's really just everyday things that happen and places people actually live. 
Yeah. This movie is scary, not in a typical horror way, because it's just like, ah, oh, look at all that blood and gore. It's just how plausible it is. Like, what if if horror movies were as unrelenting as life can be? Oof. Ooh. <laughs> that is so hard. They they don't tra- like they don't transgress. They don't sin. No. The killers don't have motives. Not really. And there is no chance. And you know this at the beginning. There is no chance they're getting out okay. Mm-hmm. And it is. Like, you see so much love between them, and and so much struggling. And all you want for them is to spend their last hour just forgiving each other and being together. And they they're just consumed with fear. They're it's too great. consumed with fear, then they put everything on pause, and nothing gets um, resolved until they're tied up in a chair. And that's a beautiful moment, but, like, ugh. It's beautiful, right? Because they, they do get that opportunity to apologize to each other and spend the rest of their lives together <laughs> in a really dark way. If oh, you want to look but at it's it like that. so dark. It's pretty awful. Uh, it, is, it is a pure example of nihilistic filmmaking, and I love every goddamn minute of it. That's not true, but... <laughs> <laughs> You know why? It's because I always forget that there's like a 20 minute chunk where they're out of the house. I never remember that. Yeah, where they go to the radio thing. Yeah. I read that in the Wikipedia today and I was like, oh yeah, the radio. (laughs) Yeah, because, um, what's his name? You know his name. Scott Speedman? It's Scott Speedman. Okay. I should have just said his character's name. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) that's why. By the way, your eyes lit up at the opportunity to say that name out loud. I like, I also like Liv Tyler, but. uh... Whatever. (laughs) Although not in this. She's so whispery. She's very whispery at the beginning. She's whispery the whole thing. I don't know. I just, I'm just going to go to sleep. I don't know. She's, I remember you pointing out that she is trying to play like she is having a hard, as hard a time with this as he is. And I don't know that I'd ever watched it like that before. Because, yeah, for her, it's it's easy. It's easier than it is for him. Because in his mind, he built up this future that they were going to have. And in hers, it was just like, hey, I thought we were just having a good time right now. Mm-hmm. So for him, how he thought his life was going to go, or at least how he had hoped, is collapsing in on itself. Yeah. And for her, she's just having like a, oh, I guess I got to get a new James. In, in a way. like I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, and also, too, it's just like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Like, I'm going to have to go home and tell my girlfriend how I broke up with my boyfriend and then had to spend the entire yeah. night with him. Like, you made this awkward, bro, not me. And now I got to sit in it. Mm-hmm. And you almost see in her that she wants things to just go back how they were. I think they both do. Because, like, he's gone and inconvenienced everything by putting, like, the future on big red legal letters. Yeah, now you've gone and spoiled it all by like saying, saying something, something stupid, stupid like, like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we made it one episode, not uh, even, without breaking good. into song. <laughs> that's good. I liked it. It was worth it. So. Yeah. Big bang on the door. They show up. They can't see who's on the other end because the light bulb's not working anymore for some reason. Oh, He's yeah. flipping the switch. But is Tamara home? And they go, no, there's there's nobody here by that name. You go, are you sure? That is that is a part that I always find interesting, that she asks, are you sure? Um, and then they, they basically shoo her away. Nobody lives around them. And I think he knows that if she found the wrong place and she walked here, she's definitely going to be walking far. And there's a moment where he's thinking, like, maybe, maybe I, I should, should go give her a ride, her. right? Yeah. I think he just wants to get the fuck out of there. Like, that's why he's so willing to go get cigarettes for Liv Tyler, because he just wants to leave. Like, yeah. But you have a bit of a theory on the, the Tamara thing, right? Did I? Because okay, I've well, since forgotten it, okay, but well, you can credit it to me. That would be great. That's fine. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is uh, Kimmy Kill Zombie original right here. Thank you, guys. This is, big, this is a good one. You should listen. <laughs> <laughs> 
worked real hard at it. You're, you were talking about them casing the place, basically. Like, they're checking to see if anybody's home. Mm. And the fact that she comes back and asks again isn't necessarily to terrorize Liv Tyler. It's just to see if they both left. Or if it's just Scott Speedman that's gone. Yes, so I thought, sorry, I thought you meant the first time Tamara. I'm like, why do they say Tamara? Please, indulge me! Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the second time I think it's because they saw the van, the truck leave, and maybe they were preoccupied, like, in the back of the house or whatever, and they're like, fuck, did they just leave? And she goes, they're like, oh, we'll just go knock on the door again. Yeah. That section of the movie is my absolute favorite of the entire film. When Liv Tyler's alone? When Liv Tyler is alone, and that dude that who credited as the man in the mask is already in the house. Yeah, because he could have been in the house the whole time, because when she's lighting that fly- fire and the flu and stuff, that could have been him. Yeah, so the... Because Scott Speedman has lit fires before. On the other hand, he did lie about going hunting with his dad, so maybe he doesn't know a goddamn thing about He probably doesn't fires. know a goddamn thing about anything. So he might not have opened that flu, the chimney. Uh, so, but, but I think the guy in the mask closed it, and I think it's to set the fire alarm off. I think it's just to keep Liv Tyler distracted. I think it's just to toy with her. At every point in this movie, they are forcing them into a corner. Yeah, and it's same as um, in Hush. It's all just, like, escalating it to the fact... For these guys, it's a game. They are probably... Maybe they don't even know each other. Maybe they don't have anything in common. But they just, like, get together and do their purge. Mm. And it's this thing that they do that they share between them. And then they all go back to their lives. We don't know anything about them. So so I was going to ask you about that. So you think that they've done this before? (sighs) I did before, but with your theory that you're My about <laughs> you're about to explain to everyone, okay. I agree with you that My theory's changed a little bit. Oh. I, I do I did like assuming that this was the first time they had killed somebody. And the fact that there's three of them made it easier because it was a lot it's it's gonna be relatively easy to corral people and keep an eye on people if you've got the three of you together. But for how much, especially how much that guy in the mask watches Liv Tyler. And at the end when Liv Tyler is sort of crawling through the grass and the pinup girl is behind her watching her as well. I think they have both done this before, but I think the girl who comes to the door, the doll face. It's her first time. I think it's her first time. Also, at the end of the goddamn movie, they're driving away in the truck, and the pinup girl says to the dollface girl, don't worry, it'll be easier next time. Which is what always made me think that it was their, their, all their first time. But I think it's just Dollface's first time. Which is also why she stops and gets that pamphlet from the Mormon kids. Because deep down she knows that I am a sinner now. Like, my life has changed. I am no longer a good person. When they ask her, are you a sinner? She says, sometimes. I think that's great. Like, I, I actually like the end of the movie. I don't care for it. Eh, I, I mean, like, honestly, if it wasn't there, I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't be like, I need a moment with them talking in the car. I need them to see the Mormon kids. I, I don't need that at all. I like the picture of them driving off and it's sunny in daytime. And yeah. like, yeah, I think that's great. I don't know if I need any of the Mormon kids stuff. The, I don't either. The phone call at the beginning, I don't know if I need. It's okay. Um, I don't mind it. I really I don't like the final the scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We don't, we don't, I don't, I just pretend it's not there. Me too. I, I, I look at it as just. Like it's so bleak that everybody dies a hundred percent. Yeah. That's how I'm... Surely they all die. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's like the end of the descent. Nobody wants to, nobody yeah, needs that jump that scare. Yeah. It's, it's just there to give you one last little spook. I would have rather have left the theater feeling a deep sense of what did Dread I just watch? And just yeah. like, oh, I feel fuck. responsible for this somehow. We need more locks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would rather walk away feeling like I watched a, like a live adaptation of the Manson killings. 
at least like that that sense that I would have where like my my heart is just like in a sunken place now. yeah and that I I believe is what gives this film its effectiveness is because it is depicting the kind of horror that is senseless mm-hmm. it is the senseless violence on the news oh, it is yeah. the senseless killings of the Manson slings and how they were random acts of violence and those people were brutalized for no reason other than the fact that they were in the house that was that was picked mm-hmm. and I don't think people like to identify with that realization and I think whatever critics were reviewing it at the time that it came out, didn't want to be presented with that kind of bleak reality. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I don't know, film has always strived to replicate life, and there are parts of life that are not enjoyable. And I don't know if I would say that this movie is a joy to watch, but it's a really great film. Oh yeah, this this movie gives me feelings that... I'm super glad I don't have to deal with in the real world. No, that would be a terrible experience. Oh to yeah, have. I do. I do not want that to happen to me. But I love it because it's brave enough to go to those places. Like it's it's not a conventional film. It's not the the type of movie you would expect to see anywhere because we don't have an explanation for it. We in a regular movie there has to be some sort of revenge. Like, they have to be somebody who... The the three of them need to have been wronged by his dad or them. Or, at the very least, we need to know that they are mentally unstable. But I think they're just regular, normal kids that just decided, let's go kill somebody. And then got good at it. And it's, oh, it's hard. Yeah. What I also like, too, is that James and Kristen aren't incredibly proficient at it. They are bumbling around in that house. One, because it's not their house. Two, because they're not equipped for this kind of situation. No. They are emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted. It's four in the morning. They're half drunk. Of the shittiest day of their lives. Yeah. And it just got shittier. Can Okay, honestly, even if it was an okay day in your life, can you imagine having to defend yourself? Or even just getting into a small fight in a parking lot hours after a wedding you'd be exhausted you'd lose and he definitely murders his brother accidentally so is it his friend yeah i don't know if it's his brother or it's his best friend but fuck is that sad oh is that sad that guy is just he's the one that helped him decorate the house he didn't want to do it but he fucking did it even though he hates this lovey-dovey bullshit and you know like a good best friend drove out there in the middle of the night to get him because his buddy needed him and uh, all he got for it was a shotgun shell in the face. Mm. So rough. That's a great scene when Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler realize who they've killed. Cause I love that he doesn't let her see and he pushes her away. And Ugh. she's lying on the ground and she's just sobbing. Because she knows it's so... Yeah. Oh. It's rough. Oh, it's a hard scene. Fuck, it's hard to watch. <laughs> It's really well done, though. And, oh, like, leading up to it, too, that guy is following him. The guy in the mask has an axe. He's right behind him. And you're just waiting for him to get an axe in the back of the head. And, like, you don't want to see that happen either. But as he gets closer to the room that Kristen and James have barricaded themselves in with that shotgun, he eases back. He knows that it's probably... Like, one, he can't go near that door because he doesn't want to get shot. But, two, they might just take care of this for me. Like, Fuck, man, these people have the the softest, silentest shoes. Like, (laughs) no one hears them coming. No, and well, and then, I don't know which one of them it is, but writes murderer on the window. Yeah, oof. Yeah, and that's when when Scott Speedman takes off, tries to, like, run for a neighbor's house or something, and Liv Tyler finds a barn with a CB radio, and... Well, Scott Speedman goes to the radio. Is that where he's going? Yeah, and then one of the girls gets him. Yeah, he doesn't quite make it. And then she goes out... 
maybe to find him or whatever. Yeah. And she goes to use the radio, and then radio quite... destroyed. Yeah, like. Eh. And then back in the house. And where then we back all in the wanted house. to be the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it was Netflix, that that probably wouldn't be there. It'd be an eighty-minute movie, and we would have cut those few scenes out. Yeah. I don't know that I ever remember. There's something about the end of this movie that I always forget. I think we just needed to incapacitate, or like to separate them to be able to incapacitate them. That's a good point. Because they need to wake up tied to a chair next next to to each each other. other. Yeah. There is something, though, that I always forget about the end of this movie. What do you always forget? I think you know. What? The fact that they put them back in their clothes from the wedding. Yeah. What's up with that? I don't think we'll ever know. That is a very specific thing that I I look at as brilliant writing. Yeah, I wanna say that this was the first time I ever noticed that, but I don't think that's true. I I just think I completely forgot because I was like, Well, I'm never gonna solve that riddle (laughs) and then just put it out of my mind. Well, they wanted to kill the people that they saw go into the house, right? And then they got dressed and changed, and they're like, "Yeah, that's not as nice." It's like we want to kill the lovers. Oh, you think you think maybe they realize? Oh, and they're like, "Fuck, these ones are broken up. We gotta let them fall <laughs> in love again." <laughs> we gotta give them time. We gotta let them kill their friend, get separated, we'll come back together. We'll scare them a little bit, and yeah. then we'll roll a bottle of champagne in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, give them some privacy and see how things go. Oh, that's great. I remember seeing this movie in the theater, and you know, even there, thinking like, okay, they're gonna get out of this. They're they're gonna get out of this. It's I a movie. Never did. I I guess I just I I figured they would, and I'm glad I did because it it made the impact of that ending so much better. But when they start to take their masks off, that is my favorite moment in the whole movie. Yeah. Because of how withholding they are of their faces. In yeah. It. We never see their faces. And the fact that Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman have now seen their faces. And they have to die. They're re- like It's all quiet reactions. But you can see on Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler's faces. Especially Liv Tyler. While they're looking at the mask. Like her eyes pleading. Like please don't show me. And so the girls take off their masks first. And Liv Tyler literally just looks at the guy. Because he's the only one still in his mask. And she's pleading him like. I'm only looking at you. I'm not looking at them. Keep your mask on. Mm. And he takes it off. And it's just like. Fuck. That is such a good scene. It's so great. And it's hard to watch. I mean, like, they, they, they do kill them, and it's, oh, it's not really fast. Hard. No, yes. and it's not uh, fair. They're tied to a chair, and they don't deserve it. And fucking Liv Tyler put the fucking engagement ring on, and there's a quiet, like, oh, we're in love moment. And then she's trying to, like, coach him through being murdered uh, in the chair. And it's unbearable. <laughs> it is unbearable. Man. But when those Mormon kids find them, too, they're not tied to the chair anymore. No, they're crawling away from yeah. where they were. You think they, they just stabbed him a few times, untied him, and let them try and escape? Maybe. And then they just crawled until they, they went unconscious. Maybe. That is fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> but boom, surprise, Liv Tyler's alive, just enough to scream and give you a shock before the credits come. But again, that didn't happen. That's not in the movie, guys. No, unless um, it's in the sequel, then I guess it happened. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's that's my hope. I hope Liv Tyler's not in it at all. Either it's got to be... Bar- or she's one of the killers. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Kurtball. Makes Kurt- no sense, Kurtball. Why were they in their dress clothes? We'll have to watch the third one to find out. I like your killing the lovers theory, though. That That's that's a nice that's a nice theory. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good movie, but it is so hard to watch. It's pretty great. And it never gets easier to watch. No. I've seen that movie I love about it. six or seven times, and it doesn't get easier. So great. It does hold together very well, though. Like, 
you'd think that you're just like, eh, not a lot happens. This couple, like, gets yeah. murdered. And that's and the funny thing. That's what I think what we didn't like about the script. You're like, man, not a lot happens in this script. No. It's just not that interesting. But it's good. It really it's plays good. well on the screen, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that he trusted his fucking idea. He flowered his garden, let those plants grow, and we got a great-ass movie for it. I have such a hard time writing this movie. Um, I'm, I'm worried that everything I want to say is too high because it's not a perfect movie. Um, there's a chunk in the middle that I always forget about that I don't like. But when people ask me what my favorite home invasion movie is, this is probably the first one out of my mouth before I can come up with at least one or two more. That's a good point. I'm giving this movie a 3.5 out of 4. I I need to go first sometimes because I am also a three and a half out of four. Yeah. I go first because, or not always, but I, I try and jump the gun and go first because I'm always worried that your rating is somehow going to affect mine. <laughs> like, you'll bully me into giving a higher rating. Like, you're like, four and four. I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. Hey, always wanted to give it a four and a four. Of course, it's brilliant. That sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. There's, there's, uh... I just don't want yours to influence mine, I think is what it comes down to. And uh, you're probably thinking the same. So I'm glad we can both sit here with 3.5 out of 4. <laughs> uh, but we want to hear your opinion on the film. So tweet at us at NOFS Podcast and head over to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. And let us know what movie you liked better, The Strangers or Hush. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes. Kim has put together another game this week. This is a really good game, and I'm super stoked for it. So I have a little teaser. A really easy one, because you're going to get it really easy. So the game is called Couldn't Find a Pen. Okay. This, I got, is a common TV film trope where people write things not using a pen. Oh, like with blood. For example, true or false, couldn't find a pen in Hush. Couldn't find a pen. True. True. True or false? Couldn't find a pen in Strangers. Could not find a pen in Strangers. Exactly. So the game is just a bunch of different movies. Okay. Some horror and some not horror. This is going to be it's, tough. it's going to be, is it written in blood or not? Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it took me a really long time because trying to prove a movie doesn't have anything written in blood is really hard. Because <laughs> you're like, wait, is it? Does Such it? a niche thing. Yeah. It's like asking, like, does this movie have squirrels in the background? I need to know. Well, and I kept Googling things like written in blood horror, and it was like, how to write your first horror novel. And <laughs> write it in blood. Yeah, I'm like, uh. <laughs> Producers love dedication. <laughs> yeah. Ew, can you imagine? <laughs> Somebody's definitely done it. Uh, this like is inappropriate, weird... Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> See if we get this office memo from Jeff. Little fucking wordy, to be perfectly honest. But also, I think I'm scared of Jeff. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so we're gonna stick around. We're gonna play that game. Uh, we're gonna probably. I, I'm probably gonna do an awful job. If you'd like to hear more of the couldn't find a pen accompaniment to the Strangers and Hush episode, head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on film street and check out this and every other cool piece of bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of the show. When this drops, our Strangers Pray at Night commentary will be live on Patreon, so you can get that one as well there. But yeah, so check all that stuff out. And if you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you're grabbing this feed and leave a quick five-star rating and review. It really helps us climb the charts and get in front of more fiends. But that's it from us this week. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale 
of the nightmare on Film Street. Now! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. <laughs>